are new to us or visiting, we have been going through um, a series on contentment. And we're still in that series, and some of you will only be content when the series is over. <laughs> We've been going through contentment when it comes to anxiety, like how to chill out, how to maybe learn to trust a little more. Or um, Facebook, I think Orrin did a good job on comparing ourselves to other families, like, I'm such a lame dad because I don't do that. Or, you know, my wife doesn't do this, blah, blah, blah. We've looked at um, how it battles anxiety, how, how it affects how we make and spend money, contentment. It reminds us that our marriage is a covenant and not, it's, it's just not a contract that uh, we actually get to present our spouses to the Lord without blemish or without spot. So when I get married, I actually get to not just say, Jody, meet my needs. I actually get to figure out her, get to learn, be a student of her, and then help her become all she can be in Jesus Christ. And we, I think, agree that would be revolutionary for our marriages. That would be men, where you'd say amen, and you'd get some brownie points. <laughs> missed out, missed out. So today we want to go and look at how uh, Sabbath rest can actually help us in our contentment. And it's interesting because when I was a kiddo, I, I found it peculiar that my mama, um, so we had a bunch of kids. I was the youngest of nine. So there's me, my brother, two years older, another brother, two years older than that, another brother, another brother, another brother, another brother, finally a sister, brother and a sister. So it was a lot of work, a lot of dirty clothes. So when it came to Sunday night, it was interesting because all of a sudden I'd go, Mom, Mom, I need my uniform, my volleyball uniform for Monday. I got a bunch of games. Can you wash it? So it's all the stinky uniform stuff, and I took it all for granted. And it was peculiar because my mom would kind of wait till around midnight on Sunday to do the wash. I'm going, why do you stay up that late? And she had to get up early, and she was a part of a job where she'd be picking up 40-pound blocks of cheese and doing lots of physical labor in a cheese factory. So she would wait till kind of the Sabbath was over. It's interesting because I grew up in a household where Sabbath was taken a little bit more seriously, uh, the day of rest on Sunday. In fact, we had probably had a word for it when we were kids. Uh, what is it? Uh, boring, um, which is kind of a swear word in our house. Right, Caden? Yeah, yeah. We, we don't say boring because mom and dad, well, you're bored? Here's a list of chores to do. You know, so wherever you go, because you're there, it should be a good time. Because it's a, you know, attitude problem if there's some boredom stuff going on. Anyway, we would set aside that day and we would uh, visit people and chill out. We just took it easy, which is a challenge today. I mean, if you have little girls and they want to play soccer, they play soccer on Sunday mornings. So it's hard to set aside time sometimes. In fact, what we had, uh, we had something called FOSPA. Anybody know what FOSPA is? All right, we got four people here. Excellent. You guys might even know the heavenly language of low German. Fantastic. So FOSPA is kind of a chill-out meal where nobody has to work all that hard. You just bring out the cold cuts like bologna. <gasps> I know, I know. I don't want to know what that's made of. But bologna, bologna uh, ham and all that stuff, cheese, pickles, some, some uh, buns, and obviously some cookies. That's kind of what it was. So there was no cooking. It was just a chilled-out kind of meal. We had FOSPA. And all of this kind of in the light of relaxing, realizing that this day needs to be holy and not working, hopefully carving out some time to be and to think. That was kind of the way I grew up. So mom would kind of put off chores, shall we say, till Sunday night to try and value and honor and set an example for us boys that we needed Sunday to be 
a holy day where we can just chill out and not work, work, work. Well, you know, I posted this question, what are some of the obstacles to contentment and what are the things that help us cultivate contentment online uh, a number of months ago now? And actually, my sister-in-law reacted to this and she says, I wonder if contentment would be more present if we were more serious about remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. It certainly gives the space to pause and to remember who the giver of life is. I find that I I'm often trying to see what I can all still do on that day, which keeps the the pace very hectic, rather than embracing this incredible gift of Sabbath as it was intended. Definitely not an easy answer. The Old Testament, you know that in Genesis, we see that God was incredibly creative. There's all sorts of work going on. And then finally, what did he do one of the last days? He rested. Hmm. Exodus says this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. I find that kind of interesting. And what would happen back then is they took this and because they were law-abiding people, they would say, what does Sabbath mean? We can't work. Oh, shoot. Well, what happens if we got to feed the pigs or the cows or whatever? So they would start counting their steps. But then if their goat would fall into the well, they actually had to walk to the well and pick the goat out of the well. So was that sinning? Or if their child fell in the well, you know, because the child isn't livelihood. So they had all these crazy ideas of how to count, how to be, go by the legalistic letter of the law. By the way, this is a freebie. By the way, all that stuff to me, one of the biggest uh, incredible things that it should do is the law should go, ugh, I can't do this. Right. That's why I sent Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to be saved by the law. The law shows us our need for a savior. That's an amen-worthy statement, isn't it? Yeah, we need a savior, you guys. So here, uh, God says in Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So when I think of remember, I think of yesterday. So one of the things that he says, just quickly in these couple of verses, he says, remember. So take a day out or take some time off just to do nothing and take a moment to remember. Don't jam it full of Facebook messages. Don't put earphones in your head. Don't turn on the TV. Don't put on extra noise. And do st- Sometimes just zip it shht, and remember the faithfulness of the Almighty God. Remember the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. It's interesting that he uses these verbs because he says uh, keeping it holy. To me, that kind of shouts out to me that it's not only remember what happened, but also keeping, which is a verb that means I'm doing it right now. Keeping it holy. So what are we doing today to set aside time to pause and rest. And then it goes on to say, six days you can labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And for me, that kind of shuttles me into the future. I think about eternity a little bit, because it's not for me necessarily, although Sabbath is pretty good for me too. But set aside unto the Lord, which makes me think of who I am in Christ. It makes me think a little bit future, tomorrow, eternity. We can find rest, you guys. We can find rest today because we are in the restful state 
regarding eternity. Think about that. You don't have to keep your mind, you don't have to prove anything. You don't have to keep your mind engaged. Worry, worry, worry. Tomorrow is taken care of when you have a relationship with Christ. Tomorrow's good. So enjoy today. Does that make sense? Because of who you are in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. You're a new child of God. Take it easy. You don't have to necessarily worry about tomorrow. Like communion, Sabbath has a past, a present, and a future sense. And it's a shadow of things to come. It's a shadow of things to come. Like communion, we share it, we celebrate, we remember, and we anticipate a day where we'll be fully with Christ. We'll actually be communing with him. Well, Sabbath, in a way, does this. Number one, it actually, it's a way to actually rest and take it easy. I need that. Number two, to remember God's faithfulness in the past. Number three, to enjoy God today that reminds us of our eternal state or our time with him in the future. And it's interesting because folks will say, well, my Sabbath is I go snowboarding and stuff. Oh, yeah. But let me tell you, when I get back from snowboarding, I'm, I'm beat. And while I'm on the hill, I'm more concentrating on getting out of the powder and not wiping out or licking my wounds from wiping out. I'm not necessarily going, I feel so rested in the Lord today. Now, let me tell you, a change of scenery does help you rest. But we are talking, to me, I think we're talking here a little bit more of stop, meditate, and think, and be mindful what you are thinking about. Be mindful what you're thinking about. I admit today I'm talking a little bit more about rest and not necessarily about Sabbath, period. Although the Old Testament talks about Sabbath, and in the New Testament, Hebrews and Colossians talk about Sabbath. But what we're going to use today is more Sabbath rest, or we're going to talk about rest. Pascal, some guy says this, all the world's problems come from people not sitting in their rooms alone with their thoughts. All the world's problems come from people not sitting in their rooms alone with their thoughts. Do you see, do you look around the commentary of a culture that struggles to be alone? I see it all over the place. In fact, when I was younger, uh, somebody said to me one time, it's one of my goals, it's in my bucket list, that I want to actually go to a movie theater and watch a movie by myself. I'm looking, I have done that so many times. I must be a loser, right? <laughs> I've done that so many times. But I mean, I, and I don't know, it's also hard today to find somebody, especially a younger person, to actually turn off the music in the car or take out the earplugs or not be on Facebook or not walk across the street with 5,000-pound cars coming at you while you're texting, Right? Like, we are just such a noisy, noisy, noisy society that what does this mean to rest? And then we wonder why I don't hear from the Lord. He, good chance he's speaking, but do you hear? All the world's problems come from people not sitting in their rooms alone with their thoughts. When I was taking my leadership degree, it was interesting because they were kind of drawing a line between an American business and a, a Japanese business tradition. One of them was that the American businessman or the CEO, he would uh, leave his office and be very busy about, you know, and he'd be going here, going there, this appointment. Then he'd come over here, look what's going on with all the machinery, and you just don't bother him. He's busy. He's a very busy guy. Don't bother him. When he'd get, get back to his office, then you go, hey, uh, yeah, I just want to talk to you. So when he's in his office alone, you can interrupt him. The Japanese model 
at least in this study, was that when they were out and about, shaking hands with appointments, doing it all, you can interrupt them. When they go back to their study or their office, leave them alone. See the difference of what we honor? Japanese in this model seem to honor quiet time, thinking time, be alone. Whereas the American model was doing the opposite. All the world's problems come from people not sitting in their rooms alone with their thoughts. It takes skill to be alone with Jesus. Don't you think? It takes skill to be alone with Jesus. Not one of us is not susceptible to the busyness of life. Soccer wants you. Your work wants you some more. Your spouse wants you. Your kids want you. Hobbies want you. Everything wants you. There's so many things going for you. So to develop a skill or a discipline where you just zip it, sit down. I want to hear from God. I want to be rested in my spirit and soul. One guy says, people don't look in at the blur of my coming and my going and want in on it. They don't go, my, Steve's busy. Look at him, go, go, go. I want Jesus in my life too because look at how busy and crazy he is right now. It just doesn't happen. But yet we seem to honor that. It wasn't that long ago, I think I told you, that I was talking to Father Stanley. He's uh, the preacher over the Catholic Church over there. And uh, he asked me a question, and I culturally said, uh, he asked, so how are you? And I, and I said, really busy. How about you? I said, you must be really busy, because he, uh, he takes care of a few dioceses, and he's also an engineer. Like, he's a sharp guy. And I said, you must be really busy, and he had this look on his face. I, I don't like to answer like that. I... That the, I'm doing well. And it kind of was a conviction for me because he wasn't buying in to the, oh, I'm really busy. Because, I mean, we do that. Hi, my name's Weston. Hi, my name's Steve. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm really busy. And guys especially do that. Oh, you, oh yeah, well, I'm busy. Sounds like a Monty Python skit, right? <laughs> who's more busy or who's more poor? Um, and we seem to honor, even in Christian society, we seem to honor it with our language. We're not paying attention to how we talk. In fact, if you come, and I hear this all the time, oh, Pastor Steve, thanks so much for taking time. You must be so busy. What am I supposed to say? No. Nah. <laughs> then you're going to look at the budget. <laughs> Cut that in half. Or you come to me and say, what do you do all week? I wait for their phone to ring. <laughs> and then I pray, read scripture encourage people you're going like what we pay this guy but so just think about that for a second it would be absolutely weird if you knew that i used 20 hours a week to pray you'd be going like do something and i think it's got in to the culture even of church that we want results and this whole sabbath rest isn't really a part of our language Psalm 23 even, which you've heard of way too much lately because we've had funerals and stuff. But I love this psalm because we're familiar with it and it begins with, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me what? Oh my goodness. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. All that stuff, okay? And then, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
and it goes on. And then the sandwich, the Lord is my shepherd, and the other end says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Nothing is hurried about dwelling. It's like, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But you'll notice that he brings the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. But first of all, the sheep has been lying down with the Lord. He has his soul restored. So he's been restored. He's been abiding with the shepherd. And then he brings him through stuff. And that's a neat principle, I think, that we see throughout Scripture. And start paying attention to your own life in this one. I will have to. It's, it's inevitable. I will go through valleys. But I do not have to be afraid because I have rested with the Almighty. I have rested with the Almighty. Somebody said that the truly purposeful have an ironic secret. They manage time less and pay attention more. Did you get that? The truly purposeful, the truly purposeful have an ironic secret. They manage time less and pay attention more. So the busy person, manage time, manage time, manage time. Well, the purposeful takes time to notice. On the way to church today, Mateo was sitting in my back seat of my truck. He said, Dad, I think the moon likes me. Really? Why? It's been following us since home. I love that. What a great perspective. He notices. Kiddos notice, right? But you got to get your face out of your phone. You got to get your face out of Facebook. You got to get your, you know what I'm saying? Start noticing stuff. And how many of us do not notice the voice of God, even though he might be shouting and banging on your door, but you got the door closed and you got the music turned up? He wants to speak with us. He wants to bring peace to your heart. He wants to alleviate the stress that you're feeling. Come all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. It's interesting because when it comes to remembering God's faithfulness, think about this. We touched on it just a couple weeks ago when Jody was up here. Jody says when you get in an argument um, with your spouse or with somebody, you flip your lid. And now your logic and your emotion, they don't communicate. And it's just all emotion. I'm just mad like crazy at Jody. Ah! And she, she goes on to say that it's interesting because when you're really mad at somebody, Let's say I'm mad at Paul, okay? I'm just, I'm looking at him. I'm so mad at him. And yet, let's say me and him have had many good times together. Let's say we've gone fishing, we've gone this, we've gone to the park and all that stuff. But when I'm mad at him, I can't recall those things properly. It's interesting because I have sensed that actually. When I'm really choked at somebody, I can't, okay, that was just a, a stupid remark or that was just a one-time thing or it was just a, a tough time but the whole relationship isn't garbage do you know what i'm saying i think that happens in marriages where if you look at the past you go 15 years of fantastic most of the time and then all of a sudden a couple things happen and they can't stand each other and they don't take time to zip it instead they ruminate it's like when i go for a run i i i go for a run hopefully keeping health but also to for mental health i got a alleviate stress and there was a time where i was finding myself running and all of a sudden 20 minutes into the run i'm still ruminating about something or someone that really stresses me out so my run 
is actually more than being healthy. It's, it's elevating my blood pressure, if anything. Because I want to alleviate stress. I want to do something that helps me. But meanwhile, I'm ruminating. Remembering the bad stuff instead of remembering the good stuff. Resting or Sabbathing in the Lord helps you remember his faithfulness and who you are in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, I love this. Isaiah says in in chapter 26, 26 verse 3, it says, you will keep in perfect peace uh, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. you. You will keep in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you, because they trust in you. I love that because, first of all, perfect peace. Who doesn't want that? We, many times we quote, and the peace that passes all understanding. May you give them the peace that surpasses all understanding. Well, here Isaiah is saying, you will keep in perfect peace. What? Those whose minds are steadfast, are solid, are grounded, because how do you get it grounded? Because what? Trust in the Almighty. Well, how do you build trust? You got to hang out with the Almighty. You got to spend time with the Almighty. You have to rest and dwell with the Almighty. Perfect peace, minds are steadfast, trusting in God. And speaking of that, I find it's interesting because it says, those whose minds are steadfast. Speaking of minds that are steadfast, um, what do you think about? Is your mind steadfast? Is your mind going all, when is he going to stop preaching because I got things to do today? Or what is it that you are thinking about? And there's this New Testament admonition, I think. And like I said, Hebrews, or like uh, Old Testament talks about Sabbath a lot. Hebrews and Colossians talk about Sabbath, but we're talking more about a needful discipline or principle or value of resting. And I think what backs up what Isaiah is saying is in Romans 12. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The way that we go in the world, man, we honor busyness. We honor get up and go. Move, 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 move. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's metamorpho, metamorphosis, right? When a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. But before it becomes a butterfly, what does it go into? A cocoon. Now, if I had my little jackknife with me, I'd open up my jackknife, the poor little caterpillar, and I would slice it open so I could let the poor butterfly out and breathe what would happen to the butterfly? It would either die or be all gimped. It's interesting that the caterpillar's got to go into the cocoon for the metamorphosis to happen for it to become an incredible, beautiful butterfly. But how many times do we want to skip that part? We want to skip the cocoon. We think, oh, nothing bad should happen because I love Jesus. Oh, no, bad things can happen. But we think, oh, here, let me help you with that. And we help cut each other's cocoon. Instead of, no, we have to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And that when we've rested, I think all of us will go through the valley of the shadow of doubt or death, whatever it may be. That's why 
we need to spend time with the Almighty. That's why I think it takes courage to rest. When the rest of the world is ripping by, they're all run, 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 go, go, go. And for us to be mindful. When I say mindful, sometimes that might throw up a a flag for you because, I mean, it's used a lot and sometimes new agey stuff uses mindful. But when I say mindfulness, I mean, are you aware of what you are thinking about? What are you thinking about? What's going on in your cranium? Even now, you might be here physically, but your mind might be somewhere else. What are you thinking about? Our thinking, our meditating. What rejuvenates you and, and, and what makes you connect with the sovereign majesty of the universe? I was, uh, I was talking to my wife uh, just last night saying that it's been a really hectic season and I feel heavy and I, I feel like I need a break. And it was cool because she, need, she knows my personality. She knows me well. She knows I'm, uh, the way I rejuvenate my batteries is I'm an introvert. I don't need parties. I don't need crowds of people. I need quiet. And it was cool because she knows that and she just fires back. Well, can you get away? Maybe I can take care of the kids on Monday or Tuesday. Maybe can you get away? It felt so good. She knows me and I try and know her so that we know how to renew and help recharge each other's batteries and give rest. We all need rest. Our thinking, what rejuvenates you and makes you connect with the sovereign majesty of the universe. So how do you practice this? And I would say one of the ways to practice this renewing of your mind or the, the whole trans- transformation, we would shuttle right into Philippians where Paul says this in Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is what? Near. If you actually believe that, teenager, if you believe that the Lord is near, maybe you wouldn't be jumping into every temptation that comes your way. Married guy, maybe if you believe that the Lord is near, maybe you stop fooling around on a computer and start paying attention to your wife. Businessman, maybe you, if you knew the Lord was near, if you really believe that, maybe it would make a difference, the ethics that you applied to your business. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want this. How do I get it? Well, here you go. Verse 8. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is huge. We've got to stop ruminating on the stuff like anxiety or the things that aren't met in our marriage. And we've got to start thinking about the things that are praiseworthy and excellent. This is a huge principle that we need in our lives. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Again, going back to when I was running, it was really, really rejuvenating. But if I let my thoughts, if I'm not mindful of what I'm thinking about, now I'm ruminating, and my run has kind of been useless. What are you thinking about? That has everything to do with your transformation. 
Here's a really cool uh, New Testament story. A New Testament story or an account that I absolutely love and I hope it connects with you the way it has connected with me. John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, we see Jesus coming to his dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So track with me here in John chapter 12, starting with verse one. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had what? What did he do for Lazarus? Raised him from the dead. That's pretty cool. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. <clears throat> then Mary took out a pint of, of uh, pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the aroma, with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, a conformer to the world, go, 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 who would later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? This is like a worth a, a year's wages. He did not say this because he actually cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus says, Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, uh, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews we're going over to Jesus and believing in him. Did you get that, verse 10? So the chief priest made plans to what, Lazarus? Kill him. Why? Because on account of him. Because what happened to him. Because he was dead and now he was risen again. Now he was annoying. Now he was a threat. Now the devil hated him. People were coming to Christ because of Lazarus. You see, lots of stories of risk in the New Testament, Buchanan says. Lots of stories of risk. And oftentimes when you see a go, 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 you know, go out uh, two by two, or go out and serve the Samaritan, you'll see soon thereafter a rest. Go, go, rest. Go, set aside. Go, off to some solitary. It's interesting. Unless you abide in me, unless you stay right here and savor my love, Jesus seems to be saying, I want you to delight in this. Delight in this. I never want you to forget or recover from this. Spend time with me. Then arise, let us go. Mark Buchanan says, when you see a risk pa passage, you'll find a rest passage. So in John 12, verse 2, Martha serves while Lazarus was chillaxing or he was leaning on Jesus, reclining with Jesus, abiding with him, doing nothing. And Lazarus was becoming very interesting, very dangerous, and very fruitful. What was Lazarus doing here? Go ahead. What was he doing here? What? He was resting? 
And yet, it seems that he was getting really dangerous and people wanted to kill him. And he was leaning on Jesus' chest. Why was he such a danger? He was abiding with Christ. He was becoming more like Christ. He was starting to give the aroma of the resurrection life. People weren't just coming to see Jesus anymore. Now people were going, is that, is that, that's Lazarus? That's the guy that was dead? I want to hear about this Jesus. And they're coming to Christ in droves. So now the devil not only hates Jesus, now the devil hates Lazarus. And guess what? Devil hates you. And here's the secret for you. You want to have a more fulfilling Christian life? You want more victory? Abide in Christ. Rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. Buchanan points out, if you want to look more like the Redeemer, you got to look more redeemed. <laughs> if you want to look more like Jesus Christ, you got to look more redeemed. Lazarus has become as dangerous as Jesus. You can't have this guy running around looking resurrected. You can't look, you can't have this guy looking around like he has victory in his life. You can't have this guy running around looking like he's enjoying life. Gee whiz. If you have the evidence of Jesus' fruit left in your life, so he said this, one fully alive, resurrected Christian in the power of Jesus Christ is a danger to the enemies of the kingdom. Amen? One fully alive, resurrected Christian, a guy that is abiding in Jesus Christ, a guy that is spending time and being moved by Christ, dangerous person, and the devil will take notice of that. But one of the ways in our culture, because we're not all that dangerous, is because the devil doesn't have to do a whole lot. He doesn't have to put on his red suit and poke you with a, with a pitchfork. All he has to do is keep you busy. Go, honor busyness. Get, take that job too. Yeah, make sure, no, got to plan this retreat too. Oh, plan that over there. Got to go. Make more money. Got. And you're so busy doing stuff that you didn't even pay attention to. You realize a few years ago, none of us texted now none of us can survive without texting or Facebook. What did we do 10 years ago? What did we do five years ago? Lazarus being alive in Jesus was pointing to Jesus and now he has become a major threat. I got a question for you. Have you become a major threat? Have you become a major threat? Are you so abiding? Are you so resting in Christ that you're starting to smell like him and look like him? You're starting to do the stuff he does and now you're becoming annoying to culture? You're becoming annoying to the devil? Lazarus was just leaning on him. He didn't do the work. Who raised him from the dead? Did he? No, Christ did it. Abiding, resting in Christ. I came across this really cool verse, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 13 to 14. So Paul is talking, and he says in 13, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said, goodbye to them, and I went on to Macedonia. But in verse 14, peculiarly, he says this, but thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives, 
as prisoners in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere. Let me say that one more time. But thanks be to God. So here he has no peace of mind, but but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Thankfulness and being led by Christ uses us to spread the aroma of Jesus Christ everywhere. Isn't that neat? As you abide and you go and work for TELUS, as you abide and you go and be a mother at home, because that's what you're called to do, as you abide and you go to school, as you abide, you start to take on the flavor and the smell and the actions of Christ by abiding, by resting in Jesus. I'll stop with this. Calvin Miller read a, or wrote a really neat book, um, Into the Depths of God. And within it, he talked about what does your faith advertise? For me, a lot of my life, my faith has advertised a stop sign. So you want to be a Christian? Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or, or, or go with girls that do. There you go. Now you're a Christian, right? No. But how many of times, if we ask our kiddos, do they look at what's a Christian? Well, they don't do this, and they stop doing that, and no longer do they do this, and they don't go over there. Really? That's what Christianity is about? Stopping? Hmm. He goes on, very thoughtfully, to say, what if we stop looking at our faith as a big old stop sign and started looking at it like a steering wheel? And we start to steer we start to magnetically go toward the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We look forward to what Christ has for us and we want to hear from him. We're abiding in him and we're obeying him. So we're steering wherever he is leading. We want to be with Christ. And he guarantees you that you're driving along and you're steering along and you're looking for what Christ has for you. And then you finally lift your eyes up and you look in the rear view mirror and there's a whole bunch of stuff that you stopped. But you weren't gazing at the stop stuff. You weren't gazing at your stop sign. You were gazing at Christ steering ahead. And because you're steering ahead, wanting more from Christ, you actually left some of the garbage behind that you used to be a part of. Think about that. And this is hard. I'm going to throw this out. This is hard. It's way harder because I have kiddos. Because there's sometimes that people want to be a part of my kid's life and they have stuff about them that drives me crazy, like that do not stand up for any kind of Christian or kingdom values, and to me are a bad influence, and now I'm going there, oh, I don't know how to do this, let them hang out with them, but yet I'm trying to teach this, and I feel like, ah, stop, I don't want to put a big stop sign down. And then I look like that guy on the first Lord of the Rings, that grumpy old man that's in the Hobbit village, he's very angry. I love the Lord. Love it. It's being the Christian is the most joyous thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm throwing that out there because this is a hard balance. Because there is obviously things we don't do as Christ followers. Yet, to exhibit the joy of the Lord and to be an aroma of that steering wheel going for Christ. You know what I'm saying? This is so hard. 
we, uh, we've even experienced a teenager that had a, a, a dad and a stepdad. And his dad wanted to do all the fun stuff, all the partying, all the do this, whoop, 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 whoo. No boundaries. Bad stuff. And then you have a dad that wants to steer in the values of Christ. Who does the kid, who's the kid attracted to? Woo, party. And it's so hard, you guys, to sometimes steer into what is right, what is good, what is noble, what is pure. And pray to God that the kiddos follow your steering. This is hard stuff. But it comes from abiding. And as you abide and as you rest, you start to smell in your family, to your kiddos, to your spouse, to your community, and beyond. So as we abide, as we're learning to be content, what are you advertising? What are you advertising? Lord, I thank you for who you are and who that makes us, and I just pray that you'd help us to live in this rest. Help us to be disciplined and take time to just rest and sometimes actually try and listen to you without noise and hear what do you want to say to your servant? What are you saying? And Father, when I think of a sheep even following the shepherd, how they trust the shepherd, and the shepherd brings them into lush green grass, and the shepherd takes care of their watering, and the shepherd takes care of their injuries and all that, and then they know they can trust the shepherd, and then the shepherd brings them through the dark valley of the shadow of death because there's a place to go. He's steering them through this stuff, never leaving them, never forsaking us. That's the kind of faith we want here. We want to steer into a relationship with you, Lord. We want to walk with you. We want to cultivate contentment. And I think today we've seen that part of that contentment is coming when we take a breather and we listen. We're not full of activity, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Help us with that this week. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.